Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean, the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Saturday and Sunday, the weekend. Uh, we've got this well-being budget, which none of us had ever heard of until our Prime Minister went overseas instead of telling everybody else that that's what she was doing. Uh, an author on uh, how to be a successful author. But before any of that, uh, are we on the verge of a new political party, some kind of blue-green situation, a, a centrist green party? Here's uh, Vernon Tarver on that. So how much can you tell us about this potential new party? Well, very potential. Uh, it's, it's certainly, <laughs> you know, these been uh, discussions over barbecues over the summer mm-hmm. and so on. But, um, look, this is an idea that has been kicking around uh, for quite some time. It's certainly something I've been talking about um, uh, since about 2014 and, and most publicly since 2015 um, as a contender in the Green Party co-leadership contest where my proposition was that um, a, a true Green Party um, should be, given how important environmental values are to New Zealanders, should be neither left nor right uh, and as close as you can get to a, a permanent party of government that's actually able to work with any party to advance environmental outcomes. And that's what the idea is. OK, and now former National Party President Michelle Bogue has said you would be the perfect person to lead such a party. Uh, you, uh, she says that you're sensible and you've got great credentials. Do you want to talk us through some of those credentials? Well, that's, that's very kind of her to say. Look, I suppose I uh, am, am someone who has been involved in uh, environmental, uh, you know, politics and, uh, you know, the movement generally um, for some years. Uh, I, you know, was a member of the Green Party and was very involved with them and held some senior positions and, of course, was a uh, contender in the co-leadership race back in 2015. Um, but I also uh, believe that I am a lot less suspicious of business uh, and of um, a more centrist approach to politics than uh, the you know the bulk of the membership um, and the MPs of the Green Party caucus. So I want to emphasise there are a lot of great people um, as members and uh, members of the caucus in the Green Party, but they have clearly committed themselves to being well on the left of politics, especially since 2017. Mm. Uh, so you know my view is that um, actually the only people. Um, or, or the main group that are actually going to be able to help us reach the kind of positive environmental outcomes we need to um, is business. Now, of course, uh, the difficulty here is that we already have a Green Party, um, which people, some people vote for. Um, James Shaw, I think he's something to do with that. Uh, what does he think of the idea of a rival Green Party? Look, a blue-green party, you must wake up screaming every night with night, having nightmares about this kind of thing. <laughs> Well, not exactly. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't lose any sleep over it at all. Why? Well, environmental voters and the environment already have a strong voice in government with the Green Party. I mean, you know, you can see that we're making progress on tackling climate change or protecting our native birds and cleaning up our rivers and oceans. So it's hard to see what a, a new environmental party could add to that. Uh, and so if the goal is simply to set up a, an environmentally friendly support party for the National Party, then it's hard to imagine where those votes are going to come from, except from the National Party itself, or perhaps top, which was, of course, kind of cast as the previous Blue-Green Party. I've got a, a bit of a different take. I mean, you'll probably disagree with me. I see the Greens as a mixture of Trotskyites and Trampers. Um, <laughs> Pause there. Okay, thank you. Uh, you got 7%, uh, I think, in the last Colmar Brunton. You got a margin of error for three. Even if they take 2% off you, they've ruined the party. 
Well, that, but that's the thing. I, I think that they're appealing or they're going to try and appeal to different voters because what they're saying is that they want to be a party that um, you know works alongside the National Party. And if our voters were voting for that, then they, you know, I mean, uh, uh, people who vote for the Green Party have demonstrated time and time again that their vast preference is for us to support uh, Labour-led governments just because we get more progress with Labour than, than we do with National. Uh, and, and so I'd, I think that there are very few people who, who are currently voting for the Green Party uh, who, who would imagine wanting to switch away from a party that's in government, that's actually getting wins on the environment, whether it's climate change or protecting our native birds or cleaning up our rivers and beaches, to say, actually, I'm going to take a chance with a new party, which will probably struggle to hit the 5% threshold. So take that, Blue Greens. Lovely colour, though, isn't it, Blue Green? So they've got that going for them. Much nicer than just green, I think. Not everybody's into green. Um, okay, let's leave that there and uh, talk about the well-being budget, which sort of sounds slightly greeny in itself, to be honest. So, so with this wellness budget, GDP growth is in everything now. We're measuring physical health, mental stability. Aren't we mixing apples and oranges? No, I, I think for budgets and certainly for Treasury policy, um, the, the, you need to keep in mind broader objectives than just GDP. Social welfare is what we're, we're looking to maximise. And there's a very big push in this direction uh, across the international institutions, for example, putting together indices that go beyond just measures of measures like GDP and, and take into account a broader range of different of different factors when they're thinking about objective functions for, for, for government policy. So, so it's important that that's done. At the same time, it's important that you don't completely discount GDP and particularly unemployment indicators, for example, because they are really very strong proxies, very strong um, measures that tell you that do tell you whether you're actually improving social welfare by, by growing the economy. We need to grow the economy too, is the bottom line. Paul, you're the guy who uh, famously coined the phrase rock star economy. Uh, we're not going to ask you to come up with a, uh, a, a quick... Are we? Oh, right, that's Oh, no, we are, actually. <laughs> so, so, so get the cogs turning about that. Just wonder, what might a wellness budget look like? Paint a picture. Well, I think that... Uh, I mean, in- case, if you look at some of those broader social welfare metrics, the OECD puts them together, for example, they call it the Better Life Index. Some of the areas where New Zealand is, is not as far ahead as it should be relative to other countries, things are like things like um, housing, uh, availability of housing is one of, the, one of the challenges. We know this is an issue, particularly in Auckland, where there hasn't been enough housing to get built in recent years to keep up with demand. Another area is, is infrastructure. And so, and so, therefore, the provision of services infrastructure, I think the lack of infrastructure in New Zealand has been one of the constraints on productivity growth, which also has been weighing on the ability of the economy to grow, income to grow. So the things that we point to that really ought to be in focus, as you can see, are things like infrastructure. I think an improve, improving infrastructure helps to deal with afford- the housing affordability in particular, helps to provide services, reduce congestion, support productivity growth, and then, of course, there's social infrastructure like health and education, which help contribute to the to the productivity story. So I think those are the things that carry a bit more weight than just looking at metrics like GDP and, and employment, for example. Yeah, well, when we've clocked those in video game terms, we've clocked GDP, we've clocked employment. So it's time to go back and, through and get and, and make take advantage of some of those bonus features.
Is that what he means? Well, probably not. I don't know <laughs> where that analogy came from. I don't even play video games. Um, we're going to finish up here uh, with uh, JP Pomare. He's an author who found himself in a bidding war between publishers. Now, Call Me Evie is out now. Your debut novel, you had six publishers fighting for it. Is that right? Uh, yeah, there's, uh, I think it was seven. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, seven publishers. I just want consistent. I don't want to sound like a liar. It was seven, yeah. I think. How did it feel for you? I mean, did you know you were onto a winner as you were writing it? Um, not really. You know, you, you, you sort of write alone. Um, you get feedback from people that will just naturally tell you it's great. Um, not necessarily the most sort of sophisticated market savvy readers. They're like your friends and family and writers group. So... You just really have no idea where you are with it. Um, I think the first time I got really excited was um, I queried my agent and um, she read a sample and she emailed back saying how much she loved the the writing, the quality of the writing. Um, So she hadn't fallen into the story just yet, but she she basically said you can write, which is someone who had had a few things sort of published in literary magazines and short stories here and there. Um, it's like the most incredible sort of validating experience I could have hoped for. So um, I think it was at that stage I became ambitious about it. Um, I don't want to say I got really excited or I thought I was going, you know, land in a big publishing auction um, or sell into international markets. I just thought this, you know, publishing this book is potentially going to be a reality. The first offer comes from you're like, it's definitely going to be published. But... Um, you know, you you know you're gonna have to let down all these people that you would have you would have given your like you know your liver. Yeah, I don't think anybody is interested in my liver. They're not these days. It's not what it used to be. Whew, not after this weekend. I am Glenn ZB. That was the weekend on News Talk ZB. Um, I will see you back here again tomorrow uh, when we'll talk about today. It might be a bit weird because it's a holiday in some places. It's a holiday where I am. I'm not on holiday. Don't know why that is. Anyway, I'll see you then.